Welcome to Worship at Fusion. To those of you joining us online as well as in this space, welcome. At this time, we invite you to stand and greet one another by extending the peace of Christ.
Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Amen. I know you'll make a way And I don't always understand And I don't always get to see But I will believe it I will believe it You make mountains move You make giants fall You use songs of praise To shake prison walls my fear, I will preach to my doubt that you were faithful then, you'll be faithful now. Oh, 
Good morning, everybody. We're going to invite our children over to that side of the room towards the exit. They're going to make their way downstairs here in just a second after we send them on their way with our greeting, of course. So students headed down to Sunday school, you guys can make your way to that entrance. All right, adults with me, the Lord be with you. Very good. Have a good morning, students. Thank you. Enjoy Sunday school downstairs. All right, we're going to move into a time of prayer. If you could please join me as we begin by reading the first few verses of Psalm 113. Let's pray. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you his servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised, both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over all the nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, with the princes of his people. He settles the childless woman in her home as a happy mother of children. Praise the Lord. Lord, you are truly a God worthy of praise. Oftentimes we get caught up in our busy lives and we forget to be grateful for the many blessings that you've given to us. We forget to notice the beauty and the greatness of our nation and of our creation. We forget all the ways in which you have been a God that is for us. Lord, this week, help us to be a people that notices these things and finds ways to praise you because of them. This is a busy week here on our campus, Lord, with so many students and adult leaders staying here through the week to serve the community for you. Lord, let our service be a way of praising you. Lord, we ask for safety. We ask for good weather. We ask for all the logistics of the week to run smoothly. And most of all, Lord, we ask that your presence is felt in a new and powerful way to all of those that are part of the week here. Lord, we thank you for those that are part of the community that are helping us in so many ways to make this week work. This is truly a community event. We are grateful for the community that helps us serve as we also try to serve our community around us. Lord, we know that there are many, many in our community that are also hurting, sick, or struggling for many different reasons. Lord, life can be hard and often without reason, but help us, Lord, even when we don't understand why, why we're going through what we're going through. 
And in these very difficult times, help us to put our trust in you. And as a community, find ways to lift each other up. In the name of Jesus, we boldly ask for miraculous healings to those in our extended church family that are sick. We ask for healing of broken relationships, and we ask for healing in our hearts when they are hurting as well. Lord, you are a God of restoration. Let this week be one of restoration in many ways. We ask that you walk closely with us this week. Hold our hand and even carry us when we can't walk on our own. Help us to hear you in our lives this week and in the next few minutes of our time together. Lord, thank you for being a God that we can go to with confidence. Lord, you are great. Amen. All right, I think that means. Well, good morning. If y'all were expecting a guy with an accent, got the wrong one. Although I did discover this morning, turn around and wave at Luke and Kelsey and the family. Last week at this time, we thought they weren't going to be here, so they called everybody they could possibly think about to come preach. And after they'd said no, they said, Bill, would you step in? <laughs> so I, I got here, and then this morning, they were able to make it through this week. And it's great. To, and I, we sent you all away with two, and you're back with three. Gosh, it's happening in Ireland, man. It's, it's good. But we're glad to have you all back with us. I'm glad that in the course of life being up and down, uh, I have this opportunity to serve and, and glad to do that. You know, it's a funny thing. I was thinking uh, earlier this morning, er, early in my Christian life, I thought a lot about what does it mean to be a victorious Christian? You know, I'm seminary trained and all these great disciplines and I've got to figure it out and then do it and then tell people what I figured out and what you should do. And that worked for a few years. And then I began to realize that really the calling on me is the same calling on you is to realize you're deeply loved. And you bring your brokenness, I bring my brokenness, we bring it to the cross, and God does amazing, powerful things that way. So that's the goal today, is to just realize we are loved, and what does it mean to live out of that love? So anxious to do that. Um, another little advertisement, I'm shifting gears, this is about fourth or fifth. Um, for the next three weeks, I'm going to be uh, opening our home to some folks. Space is limited, but I think I've still got a little more. Studying together Grace and Truth 1.0, five conversations every thoughtful Christian should have about faith, sexuality, and gender. A little bit of space. If you're interested and can prepare and make the next tonight and then two more Sundays, let me know. Uh, happy to help people, again, come together and consider uh, what does it mean to live wisely. That's the driving force as we were preaching through the book of Proverbs uh, this summer. Um, what does it mean to live wisely in this world? Uh, all of us, I think, are beginning to think, whoa, how do you live? Why, which way is up? Which way is down? What's coming? What's going? Who's preaching? Why? I mean, it's all up in the air. Going to the Scripture, digging into Proverbs is the opportunity we have as God's people here at Hardwick to really say, what does it mean to live um, wisely in dramatic and changing times. So I hope we can dig at that. I hope you've been receiving week by week from JB uh, with that in mind and that I can step in and, and be of service to that, uh, to that goal. I want to talk this morning about the order to creation. Part of the conviction of Scripture, I think, is that we're not living in the midst of a series of accidents. 
that even when I don't understand it, and maybe even if I don't like it, there's an order at work here, and it has to do with God. And so I'm going to look at one thread that goes through all the Scripture and indeed all Proverbs and just read two verses for you uh, this morning. So if you follow me from Genesis, I'm sorry, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. Hear the word of the Lord. By wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding, he set the heavens in their place. By his knowledge, the watery depths were divided and the clouds let drop the dew. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you loved us so deeply and dearly in this moment that centuries ago, you raised up a king who asked for wisdom rather than power. And so you poured out a spirit of wisdom on Solomon and you began to give him insight, more insight than he could live up to. And yet he recorded it over the centuries. People began to see its weight and wisdom and preserve those texts so that now in an amazing way, we can sit at his feet and benefit from the wisdom of the living God. Even more, we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you superintended that process. And so now you are present to complete that process, illumine to our hearts and to our minds uh, the truth that you want to use this morning to shape our lives. Thank you that you've called us to live wisely in challenging times. Fill us with marvelous hope and guide us in all good things we pray. Guard your people from my brokenness and confusion, but may they see in this moment the wonder of a God who would rescue his creation. For we pray in the marvelous and mighty name of Jesus and all of God's people said together, amen and amen. I want to think this morning not just about conclusions and what we ought to do, but I want to kind of give you a framework to think a little deeper. Most everybody has a position on something. Do you know what I'm talking about with that? There's a conclusion. And sometimes it's real simple, trivial things. So let me start with those. They're easy and safe. There's the idea of a position. We all have a position. Maybe the question is this, who will win the Super Bowl? I've got my commitment on that, and you may have yours. Behind every position, there's something more. There's a process. You see, if you just look at the position, there can be conflict or confusion. You've got to go deeper. Let me give you another example of a position. In medicine, they would call it the diagnosis. Here's the problem. All right? Everybody has a position with various government policies. This is where it gets sticky and painful in our time. We have trouble talking about a position on abortion or firearms or the economy or this or that or the other. Tension. It all blows up. Well, I want to suggest to you that we need to be able to identify and articulate a position, but realize it comes from a process that there will be data or steps or an argument, you know, one, two, three, four, used to arrive at that conclusion. In medicine, that's the test. They give you a test and they get a diagnosis. Here's the test. We check out your blood pressure. Oh, boy, here's the conclusion. Bill, your blood pressure is elevated. Okay, you know how that goes? Tests, conclusions. 
In sports, I analyze the roster of my favorite sports team, and then my conclusion is maybe next season. You've got a process, hopefully, that leads you to a position. Government policy, again, a little bit trickier, but do you see how this works out? You've got to think about what's the process to getting to that conclusion. Process leads to position. Well, this morning, the text, I think, brings us to look at something that's far deeper even than process or position. And I want to call that posture. There's a way you look at the question that helps determine what process do you go through and what position do you arrive at. I go back to the simple, safe, silly um, process and position, NFL football. I can tell you, and I, I say this loving and appreciating my wife, but I can tell you what her position on NFL football is because I know her posture on NFL football. Her posture, I would summarize like this. Eh. <laughs> Couldn't hardly care. I, she'd like the Saints to win because I'll shut up. But she... She has no particular posture on this. The process doesn't matter. Oh, it's Super Bowl Sunday. I'm so anxious to see the ads. You see how that works? By being able to think not just a position, but process how we got there and posture, what began you on this journey, it determines how this whole thing works out. Medicine. I've got to first believe that going to the doctor can help me. Any of you have a family member who just, I don't, I'm not going to the doctor. That posture never gets you to the tests. It'll never get you to the diagnosis. See, there's something about this posture and the way you look at life, the way you kind of bring to the table the things you're going to consider. This week, we started getting the, the first photos from the Webb Space Telescope. Marvelous planning for this sermon. Have you seen any of those photos? They're, they're stunning. I saw one of the, a picture of what they call the Carina Nebula. And then I read this picture I was looking at with, it, with the cloud and the stars and all this stuff, that that represented what that telescope sees in space about the size of a, it said a grain of sand held at arm's length. And so that picture would be represented It's that much. It's that deep. Now, I want to tell you, you can look at that photo. You can think about how you got that photo. And we can make some conclusions. Here's a conclusion. It's a ginormous, complex universe out there. And the process? Well, we now have a new process. We can get information from the most advanced space telescope ever built or conceived. That's all true, but there's something further back. There's posture. Does that telescope show you something about the God who created the world? Does that telescope only get a good picture of the most amazing of random accidents, or is there something more to it? That's a posture question. There are people who are going to look at that and say, wow, what a universe. And they may not think much more about it. 
the scripture this morning pushes us to look a little more deeply. By wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understand, he set the heavens in place. So I look at these photos from the Webb Space Telescope, and I think, whoa, that's what the Lord set in place by his wisdom. There's a reflection of, of wisdom, and not just any wisdom. The, the Lord's wisdom there, what am I to make of that? You see, that's a posture that brings you to a process and to a position that's different than saying, wow, look at that. Don't we, aren't we part of an amazing series of accidents? Fascinating that out of nothing could come something and something like that. Those are questions of posture. This morning, I'm going to try to focus on a particular posture that I think grows out of this text and out of the book of Proverbs and essentially pervades the whole scripture. So we're really at a, a root kind of thing, and it's what I want to call the posture of the creature, life centered on God. It's the idea that my feelings, my understanding, my preferences, though they are real, they are not the final word, that there is a God, and that he is the source from which everything else flows. So when I look at that photo of space, I'm seeing, it may be a lot of steps down the way, but I'm seeing what the Lord initiated and started. When I face my frustrations from living in a, a broken world or broken relationships or things that aren't working out, that somehow... There's a God that's bigger than this, that when I have a preference for one thing or the other, that I, that's real and fine, but it's not final. That we need to come to life from a posture of a, of a creature. There is a creator. It's all through the scripture. I love Psalms 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything is the Lord's and flows from him to this moment. This morning, by wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundation. And it's very clear. If you look in that English, you'll see the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's the name of God. That is a translator's cue that we're looking at the Hebrew that is the name revealed to Moses at the burning bush. Who shall I say sent me? Say, the Lord, Yahweh, a way to vocalize it. This is a particular God. Friends, the world as we experience it is an expression of the wisdom of God. And so to live wisely, we must first recognize that we are creatures. We are not the creators of our own reality. Ever been deceived? I want to tell you, I have. I honestly thought I had life figured out when I was 14. It was all about football and cheerleaders. They call that self-deception. You see, you can have a conviction or a feeling or a sensibility or something that makes sense. You know, football and cheerleaders made sense of life in middle school. But that wasn't all of life. There was something bigger I would later discover. So taking this posture, the posture of the creature, a life centered on God is what the scripture calls us to. And that's going to make its 
self-shown, I think, in a couple of different ways. It'll give us a process, and I often ask myself, if this is my posture, what is my process looking like? It'll give me a process that's marked by wonder. Psalm 8.5, reflecting on humanity. You've made us, O Lord, you hear that? You've made a little lower than the angels. My wife and I were looking at that. You know, the word there is Elohim. You've made us a little lower than spiritual beings, than, than, than God. Every human being you'll ever meet is significant because of that. That's what it means to be created in the image of God. Psalm 139.14, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. There is more to know and understand about how humans came to be than we have right now. From beginning to end, the scripture uh, sees breathtaking marvels in the world around us. The Webb telescope does not contradict this sense of wonder when we have a posture of the creator, of the creature. It multiplies that sense of wonder. I see now God is bigger than I ever dreamed or imagined. That's part of the benefit we have. We can see a world and grasp that God is bigger than ever before. Now, the scripture is even more specific this morning. It's not just about creation and some sort of God idea. Remember, the God of the Bible is the Lord, revealed to Moses, that capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It's a specific God. That God, the Lord, laid the earth's foundations. And so it will reflect who he is, what he values, and what's important. Because of all of this, it should bring us to a place of humility, the wonder of creation, often beyond our ability to understand or even comprehend or conceive. I may get things wrong. I went to school for years to avoid saying that. And yet, in the wisdom of the Lord, I've got to be brought to that almost daily that, Lord, there is more that your spirit wants to lead me deeper into. There's a deeper understanding that I need to understand some things about my heart, that I need to understand some things about the brokenness of other people's lives, that I need to live out of the power of the spirit rather than my own sensibilities. Friends, humility is so key to what it means to have the posture of a creature that we need to ask ourselves again and again, is that a statement from a person who really humbly lives under the lordship of Christ? I remember years ago, I read a book. I was working to understand a 19th century Dutch Reformed pastor in South Africa. I was living in the 20th century at that point. And this guy had a book called Humility, Freedom from the Self-Centered Life. And I want to tell you, that just came to me like a thunderbolt from a different universe. Humility? I remember thinking, no wonder I can't find that in the Christian bookstores in America. Humility, the idea that I am dependent, I'm con uh, conditional, I depend on something else that's not just about me. This is central to really grasping wisdom. Another thing about wisdom is that we need to be persistent. Because of my brokenness and confusion that brings me to humility, it means I need to get up tomorrow and say, oh boy, what have you got to teach me? What does it mean to live out of your wisdom today? How do I walk with you right now? Persistence. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, Proverbs 25.2. Why? 
Because to search out a matter is the glory of kings. To seek and to pursue. I'm excited. The world says I should be close to the end of my career. I'm just sensing tomorrow is a new day in Christ. The scripture says, new every morning are your mercies. I get to get up tomorrow. I'm not only going to help serve our summer serve kids breakfast, but I'm going to get to see the new mercies of the living God for me. That's the posture of being a, a creature. I live in the midst of a reality out there that does not depend on us. It depends on the Lord. You know, I could die or disappear, and the reality would continue to exist. Things change entirely, though, if there is no God. That's why the Scripture calls us to this posture of the creature. We are a people who trust in him, and it makes a variety of differences. I don't have time to really dig in to some of these things, but because of God, who he is, it means it's going to involve relationships. You know, God himself is perfect relationship. Long before anything existed, there was the relationship of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There was relationship before there was anything else. There is justice because God is committed not only to right relationship between humanity and himself, but among humanity, person to person, group to group. God is committed to justice. And so to follow him, to take the, the posture of, a create, of the creature, we're going to have to live in his commitment to justice. There comes a time, friends, where when a people or a nation or a group invest their life in injustice, they will soon face the resistance of God himself because God himself is committed to justice, the justice that he defines. By me, kings reign and rulers issues decree that are just, it says in Proverbs 8.15. Finally, it's important that because we are in the position of creature to the Lord that we get the worship of the Lord right. There's so much in the Old Testament about the tabernacle and the temple and Psalms. All this about what it means to worship the Lord. That's to get our eyes off of ourselves and the idolatry of our own heart. The idolatry that says it's about me rather than it's first about God. So these things, relationships, justice, Worship of the Lord, these are things that will grow out of uh, a deeply held posture surrendered to the Lord, the posture of the creature. Now, we could illustrate it in any number of ways. I prefer really to do that kind of in conversation with people. You know, preaching can be really one way. And I'd rather kind of talk through what does it mean from this posture to live out through process, to the positions that God has called you. What does it mean to be there? But I, I will kind of give you some examples, first from history, of how this works out in a marvelous way. There's a German astronomer by the name of Johannes Kepler. Now, this was a guy who was living and educated, did his work out of the Reformation. He lived not far from Wittenberg, where Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the door and began to really focus on grace once again, the church. And he was a second generation. He'd been raised in that. 
He would become a master of optics and the telescope. Uh, he was a great astronomer in his time. Listen to what he wrote. I was merely thinking God's thoughts after him. Since we astronomers are priests of the highest God in regard to the book of nature, the highest God would be the Lord, the book of nature. He's looking with a telescope at the world, exactly what he was doing. Because we are priests of the highest God in regard to the book of nature, it benefits us to be thoughtful, not of the glory of our minds, but rather above all else, of the glory of the Lord. I think I have a slide with his name and that quote on it, if you'd put that up. I was merely thinking God's thoughts after him. You see, this was growing out of the renewal of the Reformation. And he begins to do science, astronomy, in light of this posture of the creature. Johann Bach would write music, soli deo gloria, to God alone be the glory. Rembrandt would paint to the glory of God. This position of the creature, all of these things growing out of the Reformation. And it continues, doing, pursuing all that we do out of a position, a posture of creature, uh, being a creature. A great book that uh, has really helped me see that in our own time. I'll give you a historical thing, but I've deeply appreciated Francis Collins, The Language of God. Fascinating book. He was recently uh, director of the National Institutes of Health. Deeply committed Christian. Map the Human Genome ran that project. From the position and the posture, better word, from the posture of the creature. He followed, looked at God's world in light of who God was and pursued his calling and what he did. See, this is the, the challenge for us, friends. We see a world. It reflects the work of a great God. But sometimes it's hard and confusing. You know, I'm aware that if you just look at the world, sometimes on its own terms it looks, and I love this statement from the uh, poet, red in tooth and claw. Have you ever heard that? That's kind of a poetic description of natural selection, the way animals uh, prey on one another and devour each other. Richard Dawkins would use that term, red in tooth and claw, in his book, The Selfish Gene. He would use that to summarize the behavior of all living things which arises from the idea of the survival of the fittest. It's an example of looking at the world apart from the posture of the creature that it's just the strongest, it's just the one with the most power or the most money or the most that. See, if there's no greater reference, sooner or later, it degenerates to that. You lose the posture of the creature. Instead, God calls us to see his world in light of his goodness and grace. For us, in the church, as God's people, I want to close just looking at the Belgic confession that I think brings this into a balance and prepares us for communion. By what means is God made known to us, it asks, Article 2. We know him by two means. First, by the creation, preservation, and government of the universe, which is before our eyes as a most elegant book. See, that's how Kepler put it. 
that creation is a book that I can read, study, and learn. It's before our eyes as a most elegant book, wherein all creatures, great and small, are so many characters leading us to contemplate the invisible things of God, namely his power and his divinity. But secondly, and hear this, he makes himself more clearly and fully known to us by his holy and divine word. That is to say, as far as is necessary for us to know in this life to his glory and to our salvation. You know, I would not look at a beautiful sunset and imagine that the God who made that would give his life for me. That's the scripture. I could look at a sunset. I could look at the Webb Space Telescope and get a sense there's something bigger here than me. But when I see the brokenness of the world, I don't know what to make of it. Not until the lens of the scripture, the lens of the gospel begins to clarify, oh, it's not only big, but it's made by someone good. Someone good enough to rescue you in your brokenness. So you see, it's the gospel that brings into clarity the things that we might look and see in the world. And only the posture of the creature can take that position and see it. What's amazing is that a God who would uh, create a world like this, when it was broken by sin, would give his life to rescue us in it. In a moment, you'll come forward to receive the bread and the cup. Is that merely a tradition or moment of feeling and hope? I want to tell you, this is a moment where the God who would create what we see in the space telescope entered into the human condition and said, this bread is now my body, which is broken for you. This cup is my blood, which is given for you. The God of this extraordinary glory has loved us even at the cost of his life. That's a God worth following. That's a God worth learning from and obeying and pursuing. Come, all you his people. Let me pray for you. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you that in the midst of this world, we see glimmers of your grandeur, your, your greatness, and yet we also see the brokenness. We look at our hearts. We look at uh, violence in our world. We look at brokenness. How do these things come together, not until we see and hear your lordship and your love in Christ Jesus, do we begin to realize that you would give your life for broken people. And so we come to you this day, broken, cleaned up, trimmed up, sure, but inside carrying fears and anger and unforgiveness, whatever it may be, we come to you as broken people that you, Lord Jesus, gave your life for. We lay aside our life and open our hands to receive yours. In your grace and mercy, meet us here this day, Father, we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Amen. And as Pastor Bill mentioned, welcome to this table of remembrance, communion, and hope this morning. We will have two stations up front, as well as a gluten-free station in the back. 
When ready, you can come forward. You'll be handed a piece of bread, take a cup, and partake while you're here. If for any reason you'd prefer to stay at your seat, feel free to raise your hand and someone can bring the elements to you. Please pray with me. Holy God, we come before you acknowledging that we are in need of grace that only you can provide. Thank you for the sacrifice and resurrection of your son and for the tangible reminder communion provides. In you we put our hope. In Jesus' name, amen. At the Last Supper, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Whenever you eat of it, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink of it, do this in remembrance of me. For whenever we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we are reminded that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. So I invite the servers to come forward at this time. This table is for all who believe in the Lord Jesus as Savior and desire to live for him. Come for all things are ready.
the Lord who has loved us, the Lord who indwells us, the Lord who sends us out is a God of grace and goodness, and he wants to be that in you and through you. And now may the Lord shine his face upon you, give you his grace, and empower you to bear fruit. In Jesus' name, amen? amen. And amen. Go forth. Yeah.